Welcome to Your Money, Personal Finance Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. I'm David Pratt, along with Peter Shashecki, President of Everything Financial. Peter, we're going to get into the top 10 here. Top 10 questions you should ask your financial advisor. Are you ready? I'm ready. Fire away. That's okay. not rapid fire, though, right? We have a little no. time in 30 seconds. So, uh, sure, we do. Yep. Spend time and again, teaching people the questions they didn't even know they're supposed to ask. So, this Absolutely. is Absolutely. First, number one on the list Are you a financial advisor or just some commission salesperson guy? Who are you? Great question, Dave. I like that one. And, and for people knowing, I don't know what the questions are. We made, wanted to make this a surprise for me today so I could see how you know, really answer these yeah. on the fly. But that's a great question. Ask the person, there's nothing wrong with this. It's your right. Ask the person how they're being compensated for what they're doing. First off, yeah. ask them for their credentials. Are they a registered financial planner? A registered financial planner, they have to be fully transparent. A registered financial planner has to let you know how they get paid, how they're being compensated. Is your financial advisor getting commission? And there's nothing wrong. People have to make a living and people think I'm like poo-poo on people making commissions and not. We do some products that we make commissions on. We just disclose it. That's where the true thing is. Is your financial advisor disclosing everything? That's the key. So ask them for their credentials because unfortunately, and this is going to change, this is changing in Canada. You can't just throw around the term, well, I'm a financial advisor. Well, anyone can advise. It's it's a kind of blanket term, right, Dave? I'm a financial yeah. advisor. I'm a financial planner. I'm a whatever. But ask them, are you a registered financial planner? Registered financial planner is a designation, hard to get, well-earned, but it's, it's like a PhD in financial planning. I mean, finan registered financial planners, and I, I know quite a few good ones across the country, but they literally sole focus is on solution-based financial planning. They are doing planning, not just selling a product. If you go to a person who's just their full solution to your financial plan is selling you a bunch of mutual funds, that's okay if that's what you want, but they're just selling you a product and it takes way more. Retirement is not based on maximizing your RSPs. Oh. So the person at the big institution, when you walk into those little wickets, the counters, you know, what are those people yeah. called on the other side? <laughs> What's their name? Come on, Dave. They're a, I just, I just go, Hey, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're a teller. Yes. Cause they're a teller. They're not a listener. <laughs> right, Dave? You like that, huh? Ask the person for their designations to know that they're a registered financial planner. There's also the certified financial planner designation. Yeah. Some of those, well, let's try and be fair. How about you do this? Okay. Ask the person to see example of some of their financial plans and then have a look. Are there are they financial plans? Or are they just financial projections? Because guess what? You can go on that internet thing, that Google thing, and you can do your own financial projections. You don't need anyone to do those. So if a financial plan consists of put away this much money, save it for this long, earn this much in interest, and here's what you're going to have, that's not a financial planner. That's a financial salesperson giving you projections. 
financial planners will provide solutions in the full plan. For me, it's it's just don't get emotional about it. You know what I mean? This is money. And you just great can't question. get emotional. Great comment. What do we what have we been saying together on the air day for years? You never, ever, ever make an emotional decision about money because you always make the wrong decision. You, we talked about this in an early episode. Sure. <clears throat> you overpay. You spend. That's what RSP. Hate it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to swear. That's what RSP season is. It's a scam because it's not. There is no RSP season. You cannot only buy RSPs the last week of February, first day of March. The institution's creating an emotional impulse buying decision so you don't buy the right amount of RSPs or you buy them when you don't even need them. You're in a 20% tax bracket. What do you need RSPs for? So you got to ask the questions, find the right person who's doing solution-based financial planning. Maybe they don't have the designation yet. That's okay. Look at, they're working on it. It takes time. But look at the plans they're doing. Are they doing plans or are they selling product in a projection? And a couple of questions about how do you get paid? What product? If they're selling mutual funds, it's a fine line. Are they doing planning? Are they just selling you a product? Some people sell mutual. I know some guys that they represent mutual funds, but they do great plans. So they they do the full disclosure. They do the transparency. So everyone thinks I'm just poo-poo on mutual funds and banks. No. I'm poo-poo on not being transparent and disclosing it. Really glad that we got the the, the poo-poo stuff out of the way. You know, so we, we could well, it's our own it. podcast. If it's going to yeah, be a shitty podcast, we can say poo Sure. <laughs> I just did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. He that I find my girlfriend is just anytime that we're out and about downtown, just stay away from, you know, any clothing sales or anything like that. And just, yeah. And, and make sure that credit card. <laughs> number two question. Open- number two financial question. Don't let Brenda and Christine shop together. <laughs> no, never, 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 never. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get back to you here for a second because yeah. I think we're, t- we're talking to Peter Shashecki here. All right, now, what are you, you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? This is my best Tony Soprano. And how, do you, how do you get paid? You know, What are you going to do? Forget about it. No, there we go. You served it up for me. No, great, great thing. Number two is asking the question, right? How do you get paid? And if the, if the advisor receives a referral fee on investments, because if they deal with an investment council planning model, a portfolio manager, they're going to receive a percentage of your fees, but on non-registered accounts, like we talked about in episode three for the mortgage thing, they're going to be tax deductible on the non-registered accounts. So that's huge. But find out if your advisor is getting, everyone gets a fee. Mutual fund people get a fee too. Sometimes they get an upfront large commission. Not always. A lot of companies to their credit, are starting to get rid of those upfront large commissions, which is great, but they still get a fee. They're still getting a, a nice percentage fee, no different than the person using the investment council planning model. The difference is portfolio managers have to disclose all the fees. There are no embedded fees, but you're right, Dave. Ask, what are you getting for your fee? Are you getting a plan, a full plan? Are you getting regular quarterly, semi-annual, annual updates? Is the plan getting revised whenever you want or, or minimum, absolutely minimum, every single year? As your investments get higher or larger, does your firm do your tax returns for you? Now, maybe they charge you or maybe they don't and they include it in what they're collecting as their fees. Do you get your will taken care of by them? Do you get, you know, if you need 
something done on your, say you're doing a refinance of a mortgage. Are they covering the appraisal fees, the legal fees? I'm not saying they have to. I'm not saying that at all. I'm I'm just telling you again, what do we say? Ask the questions you didn't know you're supposed to ask. And you said it. What do you, what are you going to do for me? You know, I think it was more of Rocky Balboa there, maybe, or something. <laughs> but, but ask those questions. What you're getting paid, Mr. Mrs. Advisor, Miss Advisor, Mrs. Advisor, Mr. Whatever. You're getting paid. Peter Sashecki, you're getting paid. It says right in our, in our letter of engagement, we get 1% on the first million dollars from the management fee company we use. We have four different companies we use. We disclose it right in our letter of engagement. They all pay us exactly the same. There's no special bonuses or, things like that. And that's the things you have to ask. Well, Mr. Bank financial person, if I buy these mutual funds, how do you get paid on these? Because they do these things called proprietary investments at the banks, where if they sell their own product, they get a bigger commission or a bonus. They don't always call them commissions anymore, but they are bonuses, enhancements, different things. Ask for full details because would you go get your car fixed without asking for the bill and what are you paying for? Sure. When you go to the dentist, how many units of scaling? How much is the fluoride treatment? Oh, we're doing x-rays today. Well, there's that's fine. There's another 65 bucks or, or whatever. I don't know the exact fees. I mean, but you know what I mean? I'm getting at wherever you go. I mean, you go out for dinner. You get a bill to make sure you got what you paid for, right? So why should financial planning with your biggest asset, your money, your hard-earned income, why should it be any different? Ask for basically a description, invoice, we're using that term today. Just ask in the letter of engagement, what am I getting? What am I paying for? If I'm getting you, you know, Mr. Mrs. Financial Planner, just recommending a bunch of mutual funds to me, go elsewhere because you're not getting a plan then. Because guess what? They're not managing the mutual funds. So Peter, it's really all about one thing and that is trust. Absolutely, Dave. You have to have trust in your advisor. You also kind of goes along with that. You want to make sure sure your advisor is acting in your best interest and fully transparent. You get those things, you can move forward with that person and you're, you're good to go. It's not just about sales. And again, you want to draw the comparison between making a pitch and that, that most important word, again, getting back to trust. Yeah. Trust really goes with solution-based financial planning. Yeah. If the person's creating a solution, you have to trust that they're creating the right solution for you. And if you feel, if you trust them, that's the most important thing because then you can sleep at night. That is important. That is very important. No question about it. So what are you going to do for me? I mean, this is the next step here. And you know, how do you get paid? Because I mean, we're talking about money and how it gets cut up is a very important part of that element of trust that we just talked about. Yeah. I mean, there's referral fees, there's commissions, there's yeah. commissions on insurance. You might get paid a fee on a mortgage. Long as it's disclosed, That's the Uh, most important thing. Disclosure, like I said earlier, what did I say? Transparency. You want complete transparency. You know, we've talked earlier, past episodes, this episode even, we mentioned all the time, you hear me mention this so often, the portfolio managers. The portfolio manager is a fiduciary. They don't answer to me. They don't answer to the advisor. They answer to you, the client. 
they have to, as a fiduciary, meaning doing what's in your best interest, not what pays me. That's the key part of the plan. And there's where the trust really comes in because the fiduciary, the portfolio manager has to disclose every fee. That's my big thing. Again, everyone thinks I'm a bank hater. I'm not. It's, it's the lack of disclosure. I, I, hate the, I hate the playing field is what I hate. The playing field in Canada is not fair where they don't have to disclose everything, but portfolio managers do. Now, the benefit is you get to tax deduct those fees on certain plans. We've talked about that. But it's the trust thing. And why do people not trust the banks in Canada? And there's a lot of great people I know who work for banks. There is. There's a lot of good people in every industry for that matter. But it's the institution they're in where the trust in a lot of cases where Canadians is gone. And that's why people are looking for independent solutions elsewhere because the trust has been taken away by the, by the system in a lot of cases. Do you know, you hit the word fiduciary. And, and I think, again, I, I want to come back to it because it is such an important word that the average guy, and I'm one of them, okay, really doesn't understand it, really doesn't understand it. and. Uh, I know we grazed over this just for, for a little bit, but I do want to stick back with it for a second because for me, that element of trust connecting with fiduciary seems like two things that are on opposite ends of the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and the portfolio managers, we have a great article from one of our portfolio managers of exactly what their role is. We'll make sure we get that one up on the website too what the role of a fiduciary is. It may already be there. I don't know. It's, it's, it's above my pay grade, as they say. There's, other, there's people who look after that. <laughs> but as a registered financial planner, you should really be acting as a fiduciary too. I mean, that's the key. Again, full disclosure. I think if providing people with full, 100% disclosure really puts you in that role as a fiduciary because you're already then looking after the client's best interest. By letting the client, you know, draw back the curtain and see the wizard behind the curtain kind of idea. That's a Wizard of Oz reference, people, if you're too young to know. Watch the movie, the original with Judy Garland. <laughs> then yeah. you know what's really going on. And, and that's the key. People just want the truth. And they can handle the truth, unlike what Jack said. But, but they can. Give them the information. Take it slow. Educate them. And that's how you build trust. It's not built in the first meeting. It takes time. It takes education. It takes full disclosure. You want to be act as a fiduciary? Always put your client's interest before your own. You know, and I mean, the podcast is about everything financial. It is about educating. Yeah. I'm sometimes naive and don't understand this. But clients have come in, and, and there's some testimonials we have, like I have $20,000, a financial plan costs you about $5,000 in time. You're getting 1%, do the math, 1% on $20,000, you're getting $200. And they go, why are you not charging me? Because we're building a relationship. Everyone deserves a proper, fully disclosed, fully transparent financial plan. Because you can't become a $500,000, a million dollar investor if you don't start with $10,000, $15,000. You got to start somewhere. No advisor is so good that they should turn away people from getting good financial help. That's how you build trust. You help people. 
you do what's good for them. And you know what? You fully disclose. You charge, yes, because you deserve to get paid. You're putting a ton of time in, a ton of effort in. You have a team who's helping the client. But let the client see what they're getting for the money and you build the trust. And you act as a fiduciary and partner yourself with the portfolio manager who is a fiduciary. So a lot of this also gets back to something very simple in terms of your fees. Okay, can I deduct them? And if not, why? And explain this to me. Again, we're, we're right back to this element of trust. Yeah. If I wrote you an invoice, you can't deduct the fees. It's not allowed. Okay. okay. But if you have a non-registered or taxable, as we talked about earlier in this, and we talked about in episode three with the house thing and the, the mortgage and the Smith Maneuver thing, the management fees on non-registered portfolios are tax deductible. So use a portfolio manager where the fees are disclosed. The fees are on your quarterly statement. You see them all. There's no embedded fees. And oh, yeah, that's a bonus. You get to tax deduct them. So rather than us giving you an invoice, we're getting paid that way. And where applicable, you can deduct them. You can't deduct them on RSPs or RSP-related products or what's called registered products. A TFSA is still considered a registered product. You can't deduct the fees. So the fees are what's called carrying charges or management. They're actually management fees and they're tax deductible on your income tax in this case. And they're treated just like an RSP. They're not a tax credit. They're actually a tax deduction, just like an RSP. So if you're going to pay a fee and you get to write off a portion of it, that's a bonus too, because your advisor, registered financial planner, is helping your money work for you by paying less in taxes. See, a lot of ways to make money, Dave. But to say the yeah, to say the least. Yeah, making money on investments is hard. It's not, it's not an exact science. It's not, it's not as Dave Pratt would say, guaranteed. <laughs> it's it's volatile. But if you can get tax savings, that's guaranteed. If you can get lower fees, money in your pocket. That's guaranteed. You're already part of the way there where all of a sudden making money on your investments becomes a bonus. It's an extra. It's a feather in your cap. So start it with the easy Dave Pratt guaranteed stuff and then move into the bonus stuff. How did that guarantee turn into a curse? I don't I don't know, but it but it did. It's, okay. Hey Dave, it's it's part of your shtick. You it created is. it years it ago. You you know what? It's you a created show. it. You got to live with it. I'm sorry, my friend, but it's yours. You got to you got to own it. <laughs> so you don't believe everything that Hollywood tells you. Okay, got it. But okay, let's get right down to the basic of this. I walk into your office, all right, and I ask you the most important question of all: Will you create a financial plan for me? That, to me, of the top ten that we're gonna we're gonna be asking and talking about, that is number one on my list. What's the first the thing you say? The financial is yes, absolutely. Yes, okay. We that will show you a sample okay. of the plan in the introductory meeting. We will show you everything we have to collect to put into the financial plan. The answer is yes. Ask to see it. You know what I think I'm going to do after this episode, Dave? I'm yeah. going to put a sample plan on the website, kind of an idea, or, or the ins and outs of what a plan should be maybe, because I can't give away every trade secret of the Omni formula. But I think what I'm going to do on the website is a great thing you've come up with. I'm going to put on 
what to look for in a financial plan. So questions and how you know the difference between if it's a financial plan or it's financial projections. I'm going to put five or six key points for each. You've, you've brought up a great thing. And I think that the public has to be simply educated and, and, and us simplify it on how they can tell the difference. So that's a great idea. So ask to see the plan. But by the time this podcast is up and running, we're definitely going to have that on the site. The questions, the 10 questions you're going to have, we should yep. put up on our site. What's the difference between a plan and a projection? Absolutely. And it all gets down to what is in that financial plan. Now, what is on the top of that list? Yeah, well, the plan should start out with really, what is your situation right now? Sure. What's your initial plan? Where are you starting from? We use the term GPS because I've been explaining it this way for years. Guidance, performance, and strategy, GPS. But the real term came from GPS is, I think a financial plan, ours anyways, with the Omni formula, is like a GPS. We show you where you are. That's the initial plan. We show you where you're going. What's your destination? Just like a GPS. And then we provide you strategies or turn-by-turn instructions how to get from the initial plan to the recommended plan. That's why it's like a GPS, just like in your car. And you know what? Everyone uses their GPS these days, so we try and keep it simple. So it's your money, empower you, you will understand it if it's kept simple. The advisor does not need to talk down to you or talk over you. They need to do anything but. They need to simplify everything so you understand it. And that gets to my next question, which is, you know, when we're having this conversation, is my voice heard? Well... If you go into the big institution, apparently not because they're tellers, no. they're not listeners, right? Exactly. Your voice needs to be heard. And you know one of the best ways to know your voice is heard? When you get that summary after the meeting in an email with all the questions you asked and all the answers that were provided, then you kind of know if the person okay. on the other end of the table is a teller or were they truly listening. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Though you wouldn't know it when you listen to me on a podcast because my mouth runs twice as fast as my ears. But trying to pack a lot of information in for people, though. Oh. But in a meeting, the advisor should be sitting back, asking questions. You give answers. They take notes. You get those notes back, kind of replayed back to you in a summary later on. Then you know if you're being heard. Because a lot of this also has to do with speaking the language. Um, and what is you know common for you is Greek to me. Do you know what I mean? That start talking in, in words and plans and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm just leaving, you know, I'm leaving the solar system. How do you make it simple enough for a basic guy who doesn't speak your language to understand what you're doing for me? Well, I'll give you an a true, true story example in a staff meeting from the spring. Okay. With all my, all my team and one member on the team, not to mention their name, but because I'm teasing them about it for sure. When they see this, they'll know who they are. Don't worry. You know who you are. <laughs> Kept using the term HELOC. Home equity line of credit. And I said, you can't do that. Well, why? Because you have to assume the person walking in the door just landed from Mars. They don't know what HELOC, home equity line of credit, means. We, if you're going to use terms, your job as the advisor is to explain the term first. Here's the most common one of all, Dave. This will this will blow your mind. Well, I'll give you two because I'm on a roll. Okay. RSP. People go, well, I don't have an RSP. I have a mutual fund. Or I have an RSP. I don't have mutual funds. RSP, Registered Retirement Savings Plan, is a type of account. 
that does not dictate what type of investment is in the account. It's just a type of account. It, it could be a GIT, GIC, sorry, guaranteed investment certificate. It could be a simple daily interest term deposit. It could be a mutual fund. It could be a portfolio from a portfolio manager. It's a, it could be stocks inside the individual stocks that you've bought inside your RSP. So the job, our job is teach people the difference, like tax-free savings account, which TFSA, do you know how many people say TSFA? They just get it confused. It's TF, tax-free savings account. But they think, and this happened yesterday, actually, yesterday, day before we did this recording. A lady came in. Definitely what she should be investing in is a TFSA in her financial situation. 100%. That's the best tax thing she could do for herself right now at this stage. And you know what she said? TFSAs don't make any money. They only pay you a quarter percent. And I was flabbergasted. I said, who says? Well, then I saw the poster at the bank. But that's uh, because that's what they're doing is there's the lack of education though, right, Dave? They're yeah. not advising. That's one investment or savings method of a TFSA, like we just talked about in RSP, right? But that doesn't, that's not the only method. If you need money very short term, you're going to need the money in the next year, then having a TFSA in a savings account truly calling it a tax-free savings account, is okay because there's no risk to your money. It's liquid. The interest you earn is tax-free. That's okay. You can have multiple TFSAs, but really the government missed it here. Maybe on purpose. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they're smart enough to miss this one on purpose. I call it a TFIA, which we've done in previous episodes, tax-free investment account. Use your TF, <laughs> your tax-free, use that investment account as a way to feed your RSP because you don't know if you need RSPs for sure or not. But you don't, you don't have to have RSPs for retirement if the tax situation is not right. So maybe your money goes into the TFSA, but on a long-term retirement type investment. And then when you need RSPs, you just move the money from the TFSA over to the RSP. Like getting your T, TFSA to the maximum is a good feeder because you've got an emergency fund, You've got long-term retirement savings. You've got money and growth to feed to your RESP or RRSP, sorry, maybe your RSP for your kids too. You've also got growth that maybe you can use to pay down debt tax-free. Yeah. So it's done right. It can become an essential part of your plan. Now, I can go into a ton more about this, but I think it's episode six or seven down the road where we're only going to focus on TFSAs and really the nuances of how they work. But that's just a little tidbit for you. Okay, so what happens if you have a major event that comes into your life? Like, I don't know, a divorce, <laughs> whatever, okay, that changes everything. How do you handle that? Um, okay, we're going with the D word here, okay? Let's <laughs> we'll start the there. appropriate answer. <laughs> stay on okay. the <laughs> How do you handle that? Well, uh, forget about it. No. But, uh, what you do, I mean, what you do that, you really need to first off, check your emotions and your ego at the door. If you get emotional about this, about money, right? What happens? You make the wrong decision. Thinking you're going to win at all costs doesn't work. You need to both check your egos at the door, go see our friends at Zuckerman Law, but call them first before your spouse does, right? Right using Stewart's tagline there, which I agree with. Yeah. And uh, he's a great guy. We've had him on podcast in season one. We're going to have him again in season two. Yeah. 
but really look at the way to get out of this with the least financial pain because otherwise nobody wins. Find your advisor who, you know, can work with both. So maybe they're going to have an associate on the team who works with your spouse and one that works with you once the dust settles. Or maybe you have the one of you is going to have to go somewhere else. We have actually quite a few divorced couples. One of them's quite a treat. They'll, they'll know who they are when they see this. Yeah, both retired. Absolutely. They come in together sometimes. No. I kid really? you not. It's it's wow. It's it's quite interesting, actually. Shout out to Kathy. I'm gonna tell her you have to watch this now, Kathy. But yeah, they've been coming in together for quite a long time. Not always yeah. together, but but yeah. they definitely, you know what? They don't realize that they're fiduciaries. They may be divorced, but getting back to what a fiduciary is. They truly do have each other's best interests at heart. So when the spouse, the gentleman, had some health problems a few years back, doing well now, great to say, Kathy's the one who helped him out. Kathy's the one who looked after him. Wow. And, and you know what? Wouldn't it all be great if divorce happened that way? Not me, though. I haven't talked to my starter wife in probably six years. So, hey, well, I don't need to. So I don't <laughs> share anything in common. So. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Here's the thing that I would look at it, and I, again, getting back to that fear factor, but I'll, do, do I have to look in the mirror and say, I have to start over? No. I mean, and then you look at your birth certificate and go, okay, I'm this old. How do I start over? I mean, really? No. If you truly, truly, I mean, it's, I didn't know we were going down this road. Shameless plug for Stuart. But if you go to who's mediator, collaborator, you know, he's got all that stuff he does that he's recognized. If you go to someone proper and you take, again, a motion out of the window and keep the lawyers uninvolved, as keep the courts uninvolved, really, you're going to have to have lawyers to help settle this. But if you can go to a truly trusted mediator who works for both of you and just finds a quick, fair solution, then, yeah, you're not starting over because you've got your half and they have their half. Yeah. And two halves make a whole. So you're, you know, but if it's done right, you're doing it fair. But if you think something's not do, being done right, and I've got a case of this recently where a spouse, the male in this case, is really bullying the wife into paying him child support. Now, wow. she makes more than him, theoretically, based on how he's doing his taxes. So you think automatically she should be paying him, right? No. As we talk to the lawyers... And the lawyer, the independent lawyer who just gave an opinion said, well, no, she has the kids well more than 60% of the time. So and I'm not a lawyer, defer to Stuart Zuckerman for this one, but this is where the information came from. She's got the kids well more than 60% of the time. It's all documented. Her income is irrelevant. He is now paying child support based on his income, period, because she's the primary caregiver based on time. So that's where, again... If you, if you went to a mediator in the first place instead of, well, my lawyer said it this way. Well, my lawyer said it this way. And then you just get in a fight amongst lawyers, which who wins there? One person, the lawyers, right? Yeah. So if you want to empower yourself and look after your money in this horrible case, go to the mediator and see if you can get it done that way. Because getting emotional about this, letting your ego get in the way, nobody wins, right, Dave? It's like a lot of people we know, Dave, common people we know, who are going for contracts yes. in the NHL. And they sure. let ego get in the way. And what happens? They end up sitting. They don't play. Yeah. Or 
if their ego gets in the way, they end up getting released by their team and they go now play in the KHL. Not that a case of that recently happened in Vancouver, but hey, but these things happen. So you in anything with money, right, Dave, you got to check oh. your ego and your emotions at the door and just make a logical decision. Divorce is no different. The next question I'm going to throw you in, in terms of our top 10 um, that you should be asking your financial advisor is, okay, do you do mortgages? Because economically, I mean, there's the cornerstone of most people's financial plan, whatever it is, okay? To me, you know, I'm sitting down across from you, Peter. I'm saying, do you do mortgages? Do you? Yes, we do. We have uh, Vichy Trong. You've seen previous. You're going to see him again this season. Independent mortgage broker. First and foremost, he's an associate financial advisor with us who helps create the plans and meets with clients. But then when the client needs advice on that greatest asset of all, their house, their mortgage, also their greatest debt cases, you're making it part of the plan. The mortgage should not be a product purchase. Like we talk about investments, mortgage is no different. The mortgage needs to be a solution and customized into your plan. Just getting a five-year mortgage because everyone tells you that's the best, it's not. What if that's not the best for your plan? That's the key. So definitely, yes, having a mortgage broker involved, they should be there at the firm and being involved in the decision-making process. Again, this is how everything should go, Dave, and this may be covered later, but you build the plan first, then you find the solutions after. You don't buy the solutions and then try and build a plan with them. It's the wrong way to do it. You build a plan, then you find the right mortgage solution, the right life insurance or disability or both, or critical illness solution, the right investment solution, whether it's RSPs, TFSAs, ABCs, and 123s, whatever the case may be. But those solutions are found once the plan is developed and the mortgage is a key part of that. Sure. Because in a breakup, whoever gets the house is the winner, right? I mean, isn't that the mentality? Well, that's the way they see it, but it's got to be fair. So if you own the million dollar house and it's debt free. Let's just use that as an example. Sure. Person spouse that's keeping the house is writing a $500,000 check to person who's leaving. But, and they think it just cost me $500,000. Well, no, it didn't. Cause you only really owned half the house anyways. Yeah. The other half was hers or his. So you're just doing what's fair. If you stick to fair, you save money, get your head out of your proverbial, butt. do what's fair and you will win. You will all win in the end. There, because if you if you if you try and be the winner, I can tell you this, Dave. There is no winner for sure. It costs everybody money, pain, hardship, and the ones who lose in the end, if they're involved, is the kids. Yeah. And I'm I'm no expert on this. Trust me, because I did a lot of wrong things in the the divorce. You know what? The kids have to always try and be first and foremost, and that's not an easy thing to do. Obviously, if there's a lot of turmoil involved but logically you know we all grew up over time is yeah. is try and do the fair and equitable thing everybody will win and, and in the end it's all about what do i always talk about saving money well that's how you save money don't give it to the lawyers absolutely absolutely yeah. do want to ask this question as well can you make the interest on your mortgage tax deductible absolutely go to episode th- three of season two and you'll learn all about it. We have outtakes on it. We have charts, graphs, we have all this stuff, how to do notes. But absolutely, there's a couple different ways to do it. 
But yes, talk, talk to your financial advisor, your registered financial planner, and see if it's right for you. It may not be right for you. You may not be in the right situation. It's not for everybody for sure. But there is a vehicle out there to do it, so it's worth exploring for sure. Yes, you can. Okay, we've saved the best for last here, okay, because I really want to get into this. How will I know if my plan, <laughs> for lack of a better description, is actually working? How do I know that? I mean, oh, yeah, that's you can a look at the numbers, question. but I mean, it's deeper than that. But actually, there's a real simple way to do this. When you're doing a review of your plan, there should be like goalposts. There's check marks of okay. where should I be at this point in a plan? That's that's one of the ways you know a plan from a projection too. Is And it's not just about investments. There's a lot of other factors. What level should my debt be at right now? How much should my insurance be? What what target should we be at for my kids' RESP for their education? Yeah. Do we have that money put aside for the trip to Hawaii or Cabo or Disneyland or whatever the case may be? Part of our plan was to change over the car in three years. Where are we for that? There's all these measuring sticks in a plan that your advisor should be showing you right from the get-go of where you have to be by certain points. The plan, not the investments, the plan should right. be reviewed every year. So as I say on the, one of the commercials, you know, the GPS, imagine you make a wrong turn and the <laughs> annoying voice says, turn left here to get back on track. I say, we at Everything Financial are the annoying voice. If you're listening to this, that might be true. But what we do is we got to make sure you get in there once a year to review the plan and say, have I hit the goalposts? Or hitting a goalpost in this case is good. Am I on track? Am I at the right stage I need to be to, to reach that goal of, you know, work optional lifestyle in the next five years? And there's got to be those measuring sticks because because goals have to be measurable and attainable. And if they're not, you don't they're not really a goal. So you have to have the targets and know you're on track and review the targets and, and see if you're on track to reach one time. And sometimes you're going to be ahead of schedule. Sometimes you're going to be behind schedule. But if you review them every year. It's easy to make an adjustment. So you're driving from Chilliwack to Whistler. Check your GPS because if you make a wrong turn coming out of Chilliwack, you may never get to Whistler. That's kind of what the one-year mark is in a long-term financial plan. Check every year before you get too far off track and it's easy to get back on track. And if there's a major shakeup in in your life, like we talked about divorce or whatever it is, I would imagine that you may want to add it. Or a health scare. Yeah, lose a job. Sure, there's, there's lots of different things. For those people who don't really understand, I want to make sure that we get clear about this. You know, what does that meeting look like? Because I think the element of fear, I'm walking into, into an office and there's Peter Shusheki and I'm going, oh God, this guy knows everything and I don't really know anything. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't even know what questions to ask. What does that actual meeting look like? And, and why should I leave fear at the door? Leave fear at the door because you should, within 10 minutes of that first meeting with me or any other registered financial planner, the fear should go away. They need to recognize what is disturbing you and what parts you're fearful of. But here's the big thing in the, in the initial two meetings, really. Knowing where you are financially, good, bad, or otherwise, is way better than the uncertainty and the fear of not knowing at all. That's what your registered financial financial planner is supposed to do. Take away the fear by being fully transparent about your situation. Because look at it this way, Dave. In my opinion, there's never a there's never a reason to worry. 
about anything in life. But here's why on the financial things. Here's why. When you go see the registered financial planner, he's going to give you an answer, good, bad, or otherwise, where you are on the road to financial freedom. And if it's not that great, why are you worrying about it? Because now you know the answer. You can put a strategy in place to help get you to the point you need to get to. And if you find out your situation's really good, well, why worry about it? Because it's a good situation. Worrying doesn't solve anything. You can, if you have no control over the situation, your financial situation, you haven't gone to a registered financial planner, you have no control over it. So you're worrying. Think about this. Why stress yourself out and give yourself a stroke and worry about it? Because you have no control over the situation you're worrying. No, you have control over the situation. Go book an appointment to find out what the situation is. Boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've solved the situation. There's no point in worrying. Get help. Period. So see, there's never a reason to worry about anything because if you have no control, all the worrying in the world isn't going to fix it. Yeah. Take control and go fix the situation. Never need to worry. Here's the last thing I'm going to add on that. I mean, because again, we like to think we shouldn't sweat the small stuff, but it's amazing how fast the small stuff becomes the big stuff. Um, And if you're not clear about something, do you need a meeting? Can you not just pick up the phone and just say, hey, Peter, what about this? Pick up the phone, book a Zoom if you want. Sometimes the Zoom, Zoom's good because they might have stuff they need to show you. One of the biggest things we get is people's confusion. Now we're talking about plans, but this is part of the plan. Over an investment statement, they'll open it up they won't have, a, they just don't understand them. They're unfortunately not made easy. Go on a Zoom meeting and get them to walk you through how to read it, how to understand it. It's yeah. your money. You deserve that transparency. If you're not sure, again, why worry about it? Book a meeting and get clarity. Get to the root of the situation so you don't need to worry about it. That's the key. There should never be a limit with your financial planner on how many times you can see them or how many emails you can send or how many phone calls you can make. That should all be covered in the solution. You're paying, you're, you're paying money, maybe not directly to them, but they're getting paid yeah. from the portfolio manager. Or they've made a commission on the mortgage or they've made money on the life insurance or whatever the case may be. So you, want, you deserve something for your money other than they recommended a product and you're supposed to pay them huge amounts of money for that. There needs to be more than just a product recommendation. There needs to be ongoing advice and solutions. As we say, if if you're having one of those Dr. Phil moments, go see your financial (laughs) advisor and they'll help you very much. So that's what you need to do. And and you know what? A lot of times in a meeting, I do feel like Dr. Phil and I'm fine with that because you're consulting, you're, you're helping people get through the mud and that that's okay. I've known you for a long time. I've never actually seen or heard you do Dr. Phil. So that, that really impressed me. I was like, wow. Well, I remember, Dave, I am wearing one Carnoose t-shirt today too. So I can do that too. Be like a little leprechaun or something. In there totally. you go. Yeah. The other thing There's too, a lot of things you don't know about me and that's probably not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing either. That's not a bad thing. It's always room for surprise. <laughs> that, that does not surprise me, surprisingly enough. Anyways, but the key to all this, again, to get that thing kind of, comfortable with you. No obligation, right? You know, complimentary meeting first time, and then you can kind of judge for yourself. And I think that that's brilliant. You handle it that way. Absolutely. Call one of the offices, any one of the four, book that introduction meeting. And our our team is going to send you out by mail, Uh like real, like mail. 
something tangible you can hold on to. You don't have to click and look at a screen. Now, these days, people don't write. If I walk in and someone doesn't recognize me, I just put a black frame around my head and say, oh, do you recognize me now? Because that's the way people see you nowadays is on screens, right? But no, but we'll send you an introductory package about what we're all about, what goes into our Omni Formula plan, just to start to educate you on the process with the baby steps. Come in, have an introductory meeting. We go through the big picture of what the plan is. And if it's not a good fit for us or you, no hard feelings. That's what the introductory meeting is for, to see if we're a good fit and compatible. And if I do not want you to select us as a firm, if you feel you're not getting your money's worth or I'm not answering the questions. Absolutely not. I want no hard feelings. I want people to find someone they're comfortable with who's empowering them, teaching them to ask the questions they didn't know what they were supposed to ask. And more importantly, your registered financial planner, the team you go to should be educating and you educating you and putting your needs before their needs. That's the most important thing. I learned a hell of a lot. Just, I mean, I'm asking the questions and I'm learning it as, as we're going through it, but those are the top 10 questions that you should be asking any financial advisor. And Peter, now, now that I've heard the way you've broken it down, I will sleep tonight, uh, to say the least. Um, but the other thing too, that I got to make sure that I'm comfortable with before I just nod off is we are going to golf again, right? Soon. Someday. Oh, yeah. Okay, someday, someday we'll golf you. I just want to get you back down to that good course in Scottsdale or yes, next season when I'm not homeless <laughs> renting, <laughs> and my house is actually built. We're going to just go play Big Sky in Pemberton because yes. it's, it's Beautiful. The, the best course in Whistler, people, is not in Whistler. It's in Pemberton. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely, definitely put that on the radar to do that again when uh, we get past this fall yeah. weather and we get back into the spring and summer of 2022 and, and things feel a little more normal. But wait a minute, weren't yeah. we saying that in 2020? Oh, yeah. it won't be long. We things will be normal again. Yeah, at some point. Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to it. And again, thanks for listening and watching on the YouTube. Yeah, they've got the YouTube channel there for you. And always thanks so much for hitting that follow button. Very, very, very handy. Peter, we will talk again soon on Season 2, Episode 5 of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast.